Welcome to the Trad Dads Podcast, where we examine cultural and political issues through the lens of traditional thought. All right, so this week we have a special treat coming all the way from Twitter. Uh, we have Charles, who is a uh, what I would call a theological autodidact, uh, and he's going to be talking about um, kind of the analogy of fatherhood and, and God the Father and, and how we can know God as uh, a father. Uh, so Charles, uh, if you could um, just start us off, I know the, the, the first thing uh, that we need to know is something about uh, understanding the concept of an analogy uh, really well. Thank you, Levi. So analogy within the Catholic tradition doesn't necessarily mean what you'd think an analogy outside of that. So in language, we have something called univocity, which means that when we use a term, it means exactly the same thing. And something called equivocity, which means that when we use a term, it means totally disparate meanings for disparate subjects. Um, analogy is something that comes primarily from St. Thomas Aquinas in the Summa Theologiae, uh, Prima Pars, uh, Question 13, I believe. And what we're talking about is using a term, um, and as it refers to different subjects, it means slightly different things, but there is still a united sort of meaning. So it's not totally different meanings. And so the example that uh, St. Thomas uses is health, um, specifically with respect, or just, just health in general. Um, and so health is primarily attributed to an animal. So let's say a person, right? Um, so a person is healthy if their body's working correctly, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but urine can be called healthy. And urine is called healthy because it is a sign of health of the animal. Or food can be called healthy. And food is called healthy because it is a facilitator of the health of the animal. And so in the same sort of way, when we talk about uh, goodness or wisdom or whatever, this is from the section called uh, on the names of the names of God. Um, so goodness, love, wisdom. Um, when we speak of goodness or love or wisdom or these you know, divine attributes, we speak primarily of God. Because in the Thomistic tradition, we have something called divine simplicity, which says that when you predicate an attribute of God, um, if God really does possess that attribute like goodness or wisdom, then that attribute must be identical with his essence in a mysterious sort of way. And this is where we get things like God is goodness himself. And then when we talk about a man and we say that a man is good or a man is wise, we speak about, uh, we speak about this goodness or wisdom in a, in an analogical way where God is the primary subject of goodness or wisdom because he is goodness or wisdom himself. But a man is able to participate in this to some degree. And in the same way, we call God father. Um, we have obviously the Trinity in the Catholic faith um, in the Godhead. And so in the Trinity of three persons, father, son, and Holy spirit. Now, the Father is the source of being. So, the, um, as per the Nicene Creed, um, the Father precedes 
or sorry, the son proceeds from the father, um, which means that the father is the source of being for the son. Um, as in, you know, without the father, the son would not exist. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then similarly with the Holy Spirit, um, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the father and the son. That's true. But the Holy Spirit proceeds from the father um, ultimately in terms of being the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Son in terms of spiration. So we say that the Holy Spirit is spirated from the Father and the Son, specifically yeah, so the, the so love. The, anal- the analogy for that that I've heard is like, if like you can't say that um, if you say uh, a father and son are playing catch, like you, you have to include both people. So like it's almost like the you know, the father is, is one person, the son is the other, and then the Holy Spirit is like the ball that's being tossed between them or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So that's a, that's a spiration. And it is the, uh, yeah. as per, if I, I hope I'm not misquoting him or misattributing this to him, but as per uh, St. Augustine in De Trinitate, it is the love, the perfect love between the father and the son that begets the Holy Spirit, that spirates right. the Holy Spirit. And so, the, um, that, so that's kind of why understanding the father like the person of the father is so much is so important because the other two persons of the Trinity proceed from him or originate in him. Exactly. I mean, the father is because he is the sole source of being of actuality of existence within the Godhead. Um, that means that the father is the sole source of being of existence of everything. Um, right. And so really it's okay. And, th- and then the connection comes into fatherhood more generally when we want to look at, okay, what does the father who is the source of being mean uh, as a father? And so then we probably want to go and look at, okay, what is a human father, right? If we want to look at Adam and Eve, right? the father in that sense would be Adam. And Adam is the source of being, not in the same way that the father is the source of being for the son, but in a different sort of way for Eve, because Eve is made from the rib of Adam. She is his flesh. And so there you have the father of the family is to is in a way the source of being of the mother of the family. You know, and it's funny that that, that kind of reminds me of, of a recent uh, sort of controversy with um, Terry Crews. You know, he's, he's talking about fatherhood and he's like, you know, your father gives you your name, um, you know, and, and just his whole, the, the, there was just this uproar over the whole, just the, just the discussion that he had in there about that. But, but it does remind me, um, you know, it's just when you're talking uh, about that stuff, it just kind of reminds me of that, um, that whole dust stuff he had. And then, you know, it also <clears throat> makes me think about, you know, as a, I have, I have three children um, uh, and, and of course my wife as well here. Um, but, it, you know, for me, it's, it's like, um, you know, when I, when I put my kids to bed, you know, I give them a blessing. Um, and this was really, my wife uh, was the one who brought it up. She's like, you know, um, you know, as the father, you're sort of the priest of the household, you know? Um, yes, sir. And, and so it's sort of, um, my responsibility, uh, 
you know, I mean, she can also bless them as, as their parent. You know, I think, I think father Ripperger, um, you know, he talks about how, you know, blessing someone comes from authority, uh, you know, exactly, yeah. authority over the children, but you know, the father's authority is different. Um, and so, you know, I give my kids a blessing every night when they go to bed. Uh, so it, it just, uh, you know, it, 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 I think what you're, what you're saying kind of fills in all the little gaps in my sort of understanding of this. So I'm really enjoying it. I'm glad I could be of help. So specifically with respect to naming, uh, Terry Cruz, I don't know if this is intentional on his part, but he's hitting on something that's major in sort of the theology of Genesis, how we understand that. So as, as you know, uh, the animals were brought before Adam to name them. And to name something is to, uh, is to assert dominion over it, um, over that thing. And so, you know, like you, you come to uh, unspoiled land and as part of your process of claiming it, you name it or a mountain or uh, your child. By naming your child, you are, uh, you know, we get back to the, the old saying, uh, nomen est omen, uh, the name is destiny. And so you are, you are asserting authority over that thing. You're claiming dominion by uh, naming it. And so this is, this is what we do with our children. And obviously, um, you know, God is first in all these sorts of things, but the father of a family, um, you know, you might say like a lowercase F father or whatever, um, is naming his children. Um, that is ultimately his authority. Right. And so we see within the family, not the same ultimate source of being that God is for all things, but we see that the father is the source of being for the family. Um, we can see this in terms of provision. Um, ideally, um, we'd all like this and we can't always make it work, but ideally the father is the one working. The mother is, uh, at home caring for the children and hopefully your children don't have to work. You know, it's, it is the 21st century and I have a lot of gripes with modernity, but that's one of the few things I can get behind. Um, you know, children not working in factories. Right. So this, this is kind of a useful aside, but I kind of want to get us back on track to where, um, you know, kind of our, our little outline here. So you, you, the first thing we talked about was establishing what an analogy is in this sense. Yes, sir. And then I think the second thing was, um, you, you talked about fatherhood as diffusion of being. So is that, yeah. is, are we ready to talk about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when we look at the Godhead, we see that the Son and the Holy Spirit both exist solely because of the being that comes from the Father. So this is a diffusion of being. It's a diffusion of existence itself into the other persons of the Godhead such that their essence is identical with that of the Father. So it is a perfect or a total diffusion of being. But once again, the Father is ultimately the source. Um, And we see in nature, uh, we see in all creation, that that all being that exists ultimately has to come from a single source. Um, We don't quite need to get into why here, but I'd encourage you to read the Summa if you have questions about that, um, being has a source and that source is the father. So what fatherhood is, 
in terms of the Godhead is the diffuser of being, the, uh, the creator. Um, we have fatherhood is a very inherently creative role within the Godhead and within creation uh, in a larger scope. Um, and which this is sort of why you see um, the three persons of the Trinity described as uh, creator, savior, and sanctifier, respectively. Um, everywhere, the Father is the diffusion of being, and we look at being in terms of goodness, where, like I said earlier, um, goodness is said primarily of God um, or wisdom or whatever. All of these perfections are have their ultimate source within the Father. And so this, this is how we can start to analogically understand what human fathers are or perhaps ought to be. Um, where the human father really ought to be within the family, um, which is a sort of image of the Godhead. You know, the Godhead is the perfect family, um, you might say. Right. The, right. the father is the source of being. Um, so, you know, like I was saying earlier, uh, the father is the source of being in terms of provision. Um, all the food of the family, which is what makes up their bodies. Um, so they, they owe their bodily existence to the provision of the father. Um, aside from the wife, um, all children in the family owe their bodily existence to the provision of the father and, you know, via reproduction. Um, you know, we're not an asexual species. Um, right, right. We, we see this sort of, uh, this sort of uh, very clearly in a material way that the father is the source of being in the family. Um, but if we want to go back to Aquinas really quickly, um, as per Aquinas, how he defines goodness is being. Um, and we can talk about these in sort of different ways and it is meaningful to do so, but ultimately goodness is being, um, perfections are, uh, the most actualized of a potential that something has. So for like wisdom, um, to be perfect in wisdom is to know everything that a human can know, um, or, you know, something like that. And so when we're looking at fatherhood, um, human fatherhood, once again, we're looking at um, how does the father provide being to his children aside from making them physically. Um, and so we have to look at things like moral and spiritual formation. We have to look at things like education. We have to look at how the, how the children turn out. Um, and so because because masculinity, because the role of the father is so inherently creative, um, we really should adopt a sort of measure of man that is based around how he diffuses his being, how he's a father in the same way that God the father is a father. Um, so how many children does he have? Is he, you know, living in a small apartment, raising a single child, 
um, who's going to grow up to be weird or is he, you know, having 10 kids that grow up to all be saints? I mean, obviously those are two extremes and uh, most of us aren't going to fall into one of those two dimensions. But when we, when we measure the man, we can look primarily at what he produces in order to measure what kind of man he is, um, how he diffuses the being that he was given. Uh, so that, that means that for someone like myself, who uh, grew up without a father, um, it's going to be very hard to understand God the Father. Um, because what we should be seeing in our life, ideally, is a man who is uh, diffusive in this way. He is producing goods um, out, of his, out of himself. Um, when you don't see that, when instead what you see is a man who is vindictive or a man who's absent altogether, um, this is the sort of role that we start to apply. This is the image we create of what a creator is because the, our fathers are our creators, are our namers, are all of these roles for us. Um, and so, you know, like the, if you want to look at the five ways, um, we go about proving the existence of God from things that are observable. In order to understand the divine, we have to work from our senses, ultimately. Uh, and so if what our senses perceive of fatherhood, of creator, is something that's ultimately evil or absent, that's what we're going to ascribe to God. Um, I lived many years as an atheist because of this sort of mode of thinking that I had going on where I just didn't acknowledge sort of the category of fatherhood. Um, I didn't see such a role. And so for, for someone who doesn't have a properly formed notion of fatherhood, um, human fatherhood, it's very hard for them to come about understanding divine fatherhood. And because, see, to me, that's, that's so interesting because it, it, it kind of, um, it, it it just seems to put a um, to really make sense out of the connection that that for so many years, you know the the so called religious right, um, you know, uh, drew this line between you know the family, uh, you know the nuclear family and fatherhood and that sort of thing, and sort of the um, you know the the religious aspects of that, or, or just just religion in general, right? And so it's like you know. I mean, my generation as a, as a millennial, you know, it was so hard for, um, there was just so much in the culture that was contrary to that, right. Contrary to that. And so you, you were, you were, you I mean, it was one of those things where you never heard the argument, you know, it's like nobody ever explained why, you know, the family and religion were, were so bound up together. But yeah. I think what you're saying is it, it, it actually makes that really coherent. And so it, it kind of explains uh, a lot of these Zoomers, you know, these Gen Z folks, like why they're turning around and saying a lot of the things that were popular, you know, 50 years ago 
um, you know, totally unironically, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, on the so-called religious right, because they see that connection almost by its absence, right? Like you're saying, you know, they had so, you know, their fathers were, you know, either late boomers or Gen X or whatever. And, you know, those, that gen, those generations cultures were just so screwed up from a family standpoint that now their, their offspring are kind of like figuring out what was missing. Yeah. I think that, you know, in general, it's a lot easier to say you're looking at a puzzle, right? It's a lot easier to see when a piece is missing than when a piece doesn't fit. Um, and so I think that that might to some degree be a grace that was extended to my generation where all these cultural institutions that say millennials had or Gen X had or boomers had, um, when, they, when they got them, were in a severely degraded state. But there was still something sort of fulfilling that role in people's lives. And so even though they'd end up with a warped perception of the whole picture um, that the puzzle is supposed to create when all the pieces are properly interlocked. Um, they didn't quite notice something was amiss. Whereas, you know, I mean, I grew up without a father entirely. And so I was able to notice like, okay, clearly, you know, we are a sexually dimorphic species and we have, you know, we have moms and dads and historically the dads have stayed around. So there's something wrong here. There was a role that was supposed to be filled in my life that wasn't. Um, what is that? And when you're looking at the, when you're looking at something purely abstract, um, you can search for what the perfection of that thing is completely divorced from your experience. Uh, and so this is where sort of the, where, where I benefited where when I was forming an idea of fatherhood, aside from non-existence, I was able to form it through a theological lens where, as opposed to human fathers who absolutely do fail, I was able to kind of see the perfect father, which is God the Father, um, for whom it is impossible that he fails because he is perfect, because he's good. Um, un unlike, you know, the, the dad that comes home drunk and will beat you, uh, God loves you. Absolutely. That's not going to happen. Right. And, and, you know, it, it kind of makes me think about my own experience too. Um, my, my father passed, uh, when I was nine years old, um, and he was, he was 33. Uh, he just had a freak, uh, he had an aortic aneurysm, which is, yeah, that doesn't happen for a, you know a thirty three year old. And, exactly. Yeah. But um, you know, so just you know, sort of thinking through um, a lot of the you know, I definitely had sort of like male figures in my life, um, you know, and and my mom remarried when I was like fifteen. So, but you know, those six years, I mean, that was, you know, that that's a super important part of your life, you know, that absolutely that period. And um, you know, I, I go back to. Um, you know, all the stories my, my, my family told me about my dad and, you know, I think about my stepdad and, but I also, I think more than anything, when I think about, you know, what I should be doing, uh, as a father, I really, I go back to that, that six year period where I didn't have one. 
and, you know, think about, like you're saying, I think you had a great analogy there um, with the, you know, you, you see, it's easier to see that you're missing a piece of the puzzle when, uh, you know, like when or it's easier to see what that puzzle piece should look like when you're missing it. Um, and so uh, I, I definitely think, reflect on that, uh, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, how I should be uh, dealing with my kids and stuff like that. So I, I think that's, that's really interesting. And then like, you, you know, you bring in the theological aspect of it and, um, I, you know, it's just, uh, <laughs> it's, it's such a fun thing when we, um, when we say our family rosary, uh, every night we do a decade of the rosary and, um, you know, a lot of times I'm, you know, reminding the kids that, um, you know, well, you know, Father Bill, you know, our local priest and, and, you know, Archbishop Nauman, uh, so Archbishop of Kansas City and Kansas, uh, you know, those are, uh, you know, those are guys who, you know, they represent Christ to us, you know, and, and, um, and there's definitely sort of a fatherhood aspect to that. Um, just yeah, it's just a little bit harder to understand when it's not like the more direct, you know, lay family man. Yeah. And, and I mean, and of course I'm talking to a four-year-old and an eight-year-old, you know what I mean? It's yeah. not like, it's not like I want them to, you know, understand it super well. I just want them to understand the authority aspect of it. You know, we have this concept of, you know, without a father, we, we can't understand God, the father. Um, and so obviously if you have, um, like you've said, if you didn't have a father, if you have a really crappy one, um, then it's much easier for your, um, uh, well, well, actually, what you said was this is sort of how you, uh, I guess, uh, rebuilt an image of what a father should be uh, is sort of theologically. And so the, do you see that as being something that um, just uh, society in general is just uh, like that, that's part of the reason why we, we, we do have so many problems with religion is because we're, I mean, because it feels like it's sort of uh, a feedback loop, you know, it's like, yeah, exactly. You say that it's, you know, we have crappy dads, therefore nobody's religious, but it could also be the case that, you know, nobody's religious. Therefore we have, therefore we have crappy dads. Yeah. Off of each other. I think that, uh, creation in general, you end up with a sort of positive feedback loop where the more creative, creative people are, the more they're inspired to keep creating. And so in the same way where we see fatherhood as inherently creative, the more fathers are out there creating, um, the more inspired other men are going to be, the more you have all this sort of stuff going on. And obviously, the more pious you are, um, the better you're going to be in life. Um, the more you understand God, the more pious you're going to be. Um, and so we, we have a number of factors here where ideally we should be looking at a positive feedback loop, but the exact same trend uh, when it goes in the reverse direction ends up being a negative feedback loop. Um, I do think that the way to recover fatherhood is via a theological approach. Um, because like, you know, like I was saying earlier, where goodness or wisdom is primarily predicated of God, um, so too is fatherhood. Uh, and so I think that when we're building, because we're, we're at the point where things are either gone or they're collapsing at such a rate that we really are trying to rebuild. Um, so when we're rebuilding, we do need to work first from divine fatherhood 
in order to have a concept of what human fatherhood ought to be. Um, and with respect to human fatherhood, we're probably going to be largely starting from scratch. You know, that, that kind of makes me think about sort of like uh, sort of like a social entropy kind of thing, because, you know, like you said before, it's like, you know, the boomers and, and Gen X and, and even my generation to some extent, um, you know, we, there were still these vestiges of, you know, this obviously damaged and imperfect fatherhood, but it, it's like, so it, it's, it's sort of like you can, you can have all this nonsense going on when that is still very, you know, when that, when that, those fundamental building blocks are still there. But once you move those out, it's sort of like, it's sort of the way I think of like, um, you know, right now this, this whole fight between uh, Sora Bamari and David French is going on. <laughs> you know, and it's like, it's like David French just doesn't get that. Like there's so many things that his, his whole sort of libertine worldview is contingent on, but he doesn't see those contingencies, you know, whereas Sora Bamari is saying like, look, you can't just have, like free for all bullshit when there's um, you know, when we, when, when the, the foundations eroded. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, well, okay. Even if you did want to have this sort of liberal, whatever, I don't personally, but if, if you want to have a sort of laissez faire liberal society, it needs, it absolutely needs to be predicated on a prior moral fatherly order a patriarchal sort of cultural order that's strong enough to withstand removing restrictions um, on a sort of legislative level and as we've been proving the sort of legislative scheme that liberalism would bring about where you don't have the government interfering in uh you know in social whatever um you don't have the government interfering on things that quote unquote only harm the person that do them you don't have the government interfering in that sort of stuff um perhaps in the past when you had a real uh a real patriarchy you might call it um on a social level that could work because people just weren't going to do those things anyway but when you live in a place that's so deprived of fathers, deprived of a moral order, then people are going to go out and do those things. And that's absolutely the last thing you want. And so what David French is basically advocating here is to, uh, to not confiscate the people with uh, drills running around in the sinking ship. And what the sort of, <laughs> like yeah, because that's, that's what happened. I mean, the ship's definitely sinking. We can all see that. I think David French can see that, but he doesn't think it's right that we, you know, take the drills away from the people who are running around with them. Um, and he doesn't think that we should bother patching up the holes they've already made. Whereas like a, a Sorab Omari, I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name, um, is essentially... I think he's in the very early stages of it, mind you, um, because a lot of us came to these conclusions a lot earlier, but he's advocating, uh, Hey, you know, we should probably, we should probably take away these hand drills. They're not doing anything good. And once we've done that, we should focus on patching up the holes they've made 
instead of, you know, fruitlessly trying to just climb to higher and higher places in the boat, you know, constantly retreating like uh, French (laughs) would have you do when, uh, you know, the drag queen shows up to, you know, molest your children in the library or whatever. Well, and you know, and it, and it, I don't know, for whatever reason, your, your whole boat analogy kind of made me think of like a Looney Tunes thing where, you know, the sink, the ship is sinking so fast, you know, and the, the little cartoon characters like climbing up the mast, you know? Yeah, exactly. Away from the water, but it's, it's futile, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, th- this is why I say, I don't think, I don't think that any of these people are serious people. The, the Ben Shapiro's, the David French's, um, those sorts of people, because it's clear that, you know, just moving, right? Just moving because your old neighborhood became San Francisco right. um, isn't going to help because your new neighborhood's going to become San Francisco too. Right. Um, so yeah, this, like whole, a- this whole libertine approach is so fundamentally flawed. I don't think anyone could advocate it seriously unless they desired uh, the outcome that everywhere is San Francisco. Right. It's sort of like a cancer. It's like, you know, it, 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 it's going to move from one, t- one organ to the next inevitably if you don't get rid of it. Before. It has to be excised. Exactly. Yeah, you have to stop it in its tracks. Yeah. Right. You know, and the, the, it, I mean, it's, it's literally the, you know, just cover, cover your eyes and it, it won't see you either uh, type of crap that's being pushed on us from our, uh, you know, quote unquote, conservative intelligentsia. Um, right. and I'm glad there's starting, there, there's seeming to be coming a, uh, a sort of reaction to that that's actually making waves. Yeah. And I guess maybe in the show notes, I'll put, um, you know, some kind of a link to this uh, David French, Sorbomari fight. Maybe I'll just pick an article to throw in there, but um, just so if people are totally lost as what we're talking about. Well, so I think that's a pretty wide ranging discussion. I think we've been going on for quite a while here, but is there any final thoughts that you want to wrap up with? Uh, you know, I would encourage everyone to look into uh, why the free market is a lie and uh, why it's not the way forward. And that's about it. Well, that's, I, I think that's a great final thought and uh, I, I appreciate your time, Charles. Thanks. All right. Thank you very much, Levi. Thanks for listening to the Trad Dads podcast. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and consider giving us a five-star rating on iTunes. It really helps us out.